Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. So this week I am back in the 1900s and I am going to tell you about two people, John Duffy and David Mulcahy. Caitlin, have you heard of these two men? Obviously not, Samantha. No, not at all. Well, neither had I, but, you know, again, no one is shocked. So <laughs> I'll just begin. <laughs> John Duffy and David, now also, I think it's Malkai, or Malkai, apologies if I am pronouncing it wrong the whole time. It's M-U-L-C-A-H-Y. And they are two British rapists and serial killers who together attacked numerous women at railway stations in the south of England through the 1980s. They're known as the Railway Rapists and also the Railway Killers. Now, John and David had been lifelong friends since their days together at school in Haverstuck in North London. They both shared an early sadistic streak for tormenting and torturing animals, starting with a hedgehog, which David beat to death with a plank when he was aged just 13. Now, the pair both uh, became carpenters from Hampstead, most likely got the idea to attack lone women when they realised how quiet areas were around railway stations at night because they worked for the railway. So I think it was um, British Rail at the time. Now, it's hard to understand how a young friendship could have made such a secret life of violence, rape and murder. Now, one theory of this that came out was that they both got bullied when they were in school. Now, it may have been a key factor in driving them to rape and kill women. However, there's plenty of people that have been bullied in life who did not go down this road. So again, it's one of those ones. Were they born that way or is there something deeper? Now, whatever the trigger was, the two boys, they developed a severely psychotic side to their personalities at an early age. So as they grew older, Duffy married and he became a martial arts fanatic. Now, they both kind of got into martial arts. And despite John Duffy being known to the police as a violent man because he assaulted his wife and he got found carrying a knife, he was still able to carry out a string of sexual assaults and commit two murders over a 15-month period. Now, as they got older, the boys began to transfer their sadistic and misogynistic tendencies to women, fueling each other's dark sexual fantasies. Now, in 1976, the pair were convicted of causing actual bodily harm when they shot four victims with an air rifle just for fun. Now, shortly afterwards, David suggested they should rape a woman together, which... John did not go against. Their wicked bond was pretty much cemented by deep feelings of sexual inadequacy. Now, Duffy's irrational hatred of women sprang from a low sperm count, which prevented him from fathering children. Throughout his life, he had a David, sorry, had been troubled by difficulties in maintaining an erection, which would drive him to escalating sexual depravity and violence in an attempt to arouse himself. Also, John is about five foot four and David is closer to six foot. So it's pretty much a duo of little and large. 
1981, they both escaped with suspended sentences at Alton, Mag Alton Magistrates Court when they stole wines and spirits from a storeroom. However, note that their information and things is on the police system. The brutal crimes, though, they began on the 1st of July 1982 when the pair attacked and violently raped a 23-year-old woman in Hampstead, North London. Now, over the next four years, a further, further 18 women were to be attacked. Now, more occurred through 1984 and then three women were raped on the same night in 1985 in Hendon. Police set up an urgent workshop to try to find the perpetrators and they called it Operation Heart, H-A-R-T. The name of Duffy was kind of pushed around as a suspect among thousands of other names because he was on the sex offenders register because he was convicted for the rape of his wife. Now, rope found in his parents' house linked him to the second murder victim, but David was also questioned due to his close friendship with John, but victims were still traumatised and unable to pick him out of an identity parade. David was released for lack of evidence. So I have kind of jumped forward, not to be a spoiler, there is police involvement, they do get taken into police custody. So at this point, John has been arrested and David has gotten away with it. Now, we'll go back, we'll go to the 29th of December 1985, when Alison Day, who was just aged 19, she was dragged off a train at Hackney Wick Station by John and David, and she was repeatedly raped. She was then strangled with a piece of string. Police further stepped up their search for the attacker who had been coined by the press as, like I said at the start, the railway rapist. However, the death of Alison Day changed this name to the railway killer and a tag was reinforced by the rape and murder of 15-year-old Marty Tomboza in West Horsley on the 17th of April 1986. As well as rape and strangulation, Marty's body was set on fire. Now, a month later, on the 18th of May 1986, a local TV presenter, Anne Locke, 29, was abducted and murdered as she dismounted a train in Brookmans Park in Hertfordshire. The disappearance of Anne was massively publicised and connecting her disappearance to the murders of Alison Day and Marty Tamboza, Surrey and Hertfordshire police set up a joint operation codenamed Trinity. Now, this manhunt, which led to the Operation Heart, which we mentioned earlier, was to become the biggest undertaking in Britain since the Yorkshire Ripper inquiry of the 1970s. Detectives had managed to narrow their initial list of 5,000 suspects down to 1,999 men who fitted the description and other details of the railway rapes and murders. Number 1,594 on the list was a slightly built Irish man, John Duffy, a British real carpenter. Duffy had been placed on this list due to the fact that he had a history of violence in August 1985 because he had been in trouble with the police for raping his ex-wife, like I said earlier. So police took an extra interest in Duffy because on Saturday the 17th of May, he had been arrested for loitering at North Weald Railway Station. Detectives searching him found a sharp butterfly knife in his pocket, along with tissues and a box of matches. 
Now, Duffy claimed he used a knife at his weekly martial arts class near to his home in Kilburn, North London. Duffy was released, though, but the Operation Heart computer logged his arrest. Now, on the 17th of July, Duffy was called in for questioning by Operation Heart detectives, but arrived with a solicitor and refused to give blood samples. Which, again, in my personal opinion, if you refuse to give samples of anything, you're guilty in my eyes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because if someone came and arrested me and was like, you need to give this, 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 I was like, "Uh, okay, anything to get me off, you know? Um, Detectives had a nagging suspicion that Duffy was her man due to the fact that he fitted the description of the rapist. He was short, had pockmarked skin, so like a lot of acne and kind of scarring from that, and had the same laser staring eyes described by so many of his victims. His reference to a martial arts class also struck a chord with detectives because they remembered the broken bone in the neck of Marty Tamboza and the suggestion that it had been caused by a karate blow. However, with lack of hard evidence, they were unable to detain him and he was released again. Four days later, the body of Anne Locke was discovered by a gang of track maintenance workers on an overgrown embankment near Brookman's Park Railway Station. She had been killed in the now usual fashion and an attempt had been made to burn her body. The same coarse string was found biding her hands behind her in the praying position. The discovery of her body led detectives to attempt a second interview with Duffy, but to their astonishment, they found that he had been admitted to a psychiatric hospital in North London. Now, Duffy claimed that he had been assaulted by two men and had lost his memory as a result. Police were sceptical, but could not disprove his claims. Doctors forbid detectives to question Duffy, and police had to leave him in the security of the hospital. So he remained there for a month. Now, on the 21st of October, a 14-year-old schoolgirl was raped on the outskirts of Watford, and during the assault, the girl's blindfold slipped, and she was able to describe a short, acne-faced man with a dog he called Bruce. This fact was to bear significance later on. Upon learning that he had been released from the psychiatric hospital, Duffy was placed under a tight surveillance. Detectives were now convinced that Duffy was their man and searched desperately for any evidence that would convict him. Their breakthrough came from an unexpected direction and set a precedent still used to this day. Now, Professor David Cantor was a professor of applied psychology at the University of Study. Study, sorry, not study, but you do study at a university. Now, he was an expert in behavioural science, but had never worked with the police before. At this time, the FBI in the USA had used offender profiling successfully for 10 years, although offender profiling was in its infancy in Britain. The FBI agents John Douglas and Robert K. Resler of the FBI's Behavioural Sciences Unit had pioneered it and new developments were occurring frequently due to their research. Now, there's a good, um, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, I think I mentioned it before, Mindhunter, about those two FBI agents, how they um, question and stuff the serial killers like Dahmer and all that. And it's the actors that play the serial killers as well are very good lookalikes. Now, when he was asked for a profile by police, Professor Cantor told them he would need to read every single statement and every forensic report made. 
He also studied a map of all the attacks in an attempt to find the killer's home ground. Within two weeks, Professor Cantor had produced a report giving the police 17 pointers towards the character, behaviour and possible location of the killer. What really made this a breakthrough and helped resolve the position profilers hold in today's society was the fact that 13 of these pointers fitted Duffy exactly. Now, Professor Cantor's 13 pointers that matched Duffy, I'll just go through them and I'll tell you how they matched. Num number one, the killer lived in either the Kilburn or Cricklewood areas of London. Duffy lived in Kilburn. The killer was married but had no children. Duffy was married but was infertile and unable to produce children. The marriage was in serious trouble. Duffy was separated from his wife. The killer was a loner with few friends. Duffy had only two close male friends. The killer was a physically small man who felt himself to be unattractive. He was five foot four and he had severe acne. The I killer love when they managed to do things like that. It's so interesting how they get it like without even seeing it some method. It's like he prefers his standards over Coronation Street. And I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah. And they probably would be able to get that information from wherever. It's mental. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. And it's one of probably the best things that have ever come out of like, you know, all of the detective things. Um, the killer had an interest in martial arts or bodybuilding. So Duffy spent most of his time at a martial arts club. The killer felt the need to dominate women. So Duffy was a violent bully and he already attacked his wife multiple times, including raping her. The killer fantasised about rape and bondage. So Duffy liked to tie up his ex-wife during sex and again had already raped her. The killer had a fascination for weapons, especially knives and swords. So he had many weapons at his home. He also had that butterfly knife. The killer indulged his sex and violence fantasies with videos and magazines. He collected hardcore porn and martial arts videos, which I'll go on to in a minute. The killer kept a souvenir of his crimes. So Duffy actually had 33 door keys, each taken from a victim as a souvenir. The killer had a semi-skilled job as a plumber, carpenter or similar. He worked for British Rail as a carpenter. However, in my opinion, that's not a semi-skilled job. It's so skillful. Like, I wish I had a trade. But I know that's what they're called. Anyway. The killer was in the age range of 20 to 30 years old. So he had been a rapist for about four years when he was arrested at age 28. So when police fed these de details into the computer and programmed it to sift through their suspect database and single out suspect fitting this criteria, the computer came out with one name after detectives had cross-checked the profile against their 1,999 suspects. The name was John Duffy. So on Sunday the 23rd of November 1986, aware that Duffy realised he was being watched, senior detectives ordered his arrest. Now, detectives who searched Duffy's home found hardcore pornography, martial arts videos and magazines and several martial arts weapons. He was also found to have a dog named Bruce, which matched the rape victim's story. It was during a search of his mother's house that they found a significant breakthrough. Hidden under the stairs was a ball of som yarn, which is actually very rare. It's the type of string that he tied victims' hands with. Now, forensic experts were able to match this with one used to bind the murder victims. Fibres found on Duffy's clothes matched those recovered from a, the body of Alison Day. Now, Duffy, throughout all of this, 
his questioning, sorry, refused to admit anything, even when faced with undeniable evidence, and he remained impassive as he was charged with rape and murder. Duffy betrayed absolutely no emotion at his trial in February 1988 at Old Bailey. Seven of his rape victims refused to give evidence against him, so he was tried for five rapes only and the three murders. Duffy pleaded not guilty to all counts, but was convicted of all the rapes and the murders of Marty Taboza, Tamboza sorry, and Alison Day. The prosecution agreed that there was insufficient evidence in the case of Anne Locke, and Duffy was acquitted of this murder. Now, Duffy again displayed no emotion as he was sent to prison to serve eight life sentences. He went to prison taking the name of his accomplice in 16 of the rapes with him. He was given a minimum tariff of 30 years by the judge, later extended to a whole life tariff by the Home Secretary. A European Court of Human Rights ruling later removed the right of politicians to reset sentence tariffs, and so Duffy's stay in prison was reverted to the original 30 years. Much was made of the psychological profile constructed by Cantor after the trial as Duffy fitted, as we said, 13 of the 17 observations made about the attacker's lifestyle and habits. So this immediately became commonplace in policing thereafter. Now, following his conviction, Duffy revealed to a forensic psychologist what the police knew already, that they, he had not attacked the woman alone. However, he chose to reveal no more until 1997 when he implicated David. Now, Duffy also admitted his involvement in the attack on Anne Locke, although couldn't be retried for this under the double jeopardy rule, which we've spoken about on numerous occasions. However, David, who is now a married father of four, could still be implicated and following Duffy's claims, he was tracked for several months by police prior to his arrest and DNA tests, which they were not yet in use during their original investigation. So this also proved his involvement. In 10 years after the murder of Anne Locke, with Duffy safely behind bars, David at this time clearly must have believed he would never be caught because he doesn't know about Duffy's confession or the fact that the police are tracking him. Jump forward a little earlier though from the confession to August 1996 when another rapist sprang from the undergrowth in near Hampstead Heath, sparking a chain of events which would lead to David joining his friend behind bars. Ted Biggs, then 34, was a salesman at Bed and Shop in Hertz, leading the double life of a rapist. He attacked 66-year-old women on the heath that summer's night and struck again in Hampstead in September 1998. Police launched Operation Loudwater to track down Biggs, who would prey on six victims before he was jailed for life. By sheer chance, one of the officers on Operation Loudwater, DC Caroline Murphy, met DC John Hay in a pub. Now, DC John Hay had been the exhibits officer in the Duffy inquiry. They quickly realised the two cases had striking similarities in location and the knife and the balaclavas that were used. DC Murphy called White House Prison in Cambridge to make sure Duffy had not been let out on day release and could not be responsible for the offences. She learned Duffy, in fact, being interviewed by psychologist Jenny Cutler, who told her Duffy had given the name of his accomplice as David Mulcahy. And this is us now in 1997. 
All their surviving exhibits from the original case were re-examined and tested using DNA techniques, which were not available in the 1980s. Samples taken from the clothes of one of the old pairs that David had raped on Hampstead Heath showed there was only a one in a billion chance he was not the attacker. Senior officers then found that in an astonishing blunder, a piece of tape used to bind the women attacked on Highgate Hill had not been tested for fingerprints before it was consigned to the storeroom at Euston Station. The worst fears were realised when four experts confirmed the fingerprints they found on the tape belonged to David. So, kind of tragically, David and John probably could have been stopped after, I say this just, but just three rapes instead of loads more and murders. Still, obviously, not I get what thing. you mean. Still not great, but could have been a lot more. Yes. Now, That's in, mad. It's crazy. And I feel like this happens a lot, but you know what? In hindsight, like we said, it's a wonderful thing. Now, in 2000... Duffy appeared at the Old Bailey as a witness against David and gave detailed evidence over 14 days. It was the first time a highest category prisoner had ever given evidence against an accomplice. According to him, he and David went on hunting parties, searching for women in the 1980s. In court, he described how he and his best friend from childhood would hunt for victims throughout London. We would have balaclavas and knives. We used to call it hunting. We did it as a bit of a joke, a bit of a game. Between 1982 and 1986, they hunted down and raped 15 women, killing three of them. David emerged through the trial from, oh, sorry, from prosecution evidence as the chief perpetrator and the first to decide that sexual stimulation wasn't enough of a thrill anymore, so turned it to murder. David cheerfully told the jury how he had bound a 12-year-old cousin hand and foot and tossed him into a bath full of ice because the lad had difficulty getting out of bed. Now, David bellowed with laughter as he snapped photographs of the boy pure, like, floundering about in the ice. David was convicted of three murders and seven rapes and handed three life sentences with a 30-year recommendation. He was not later given a whole life tariff due to the ruling that was removed um, by the time this case was due for review. Now, Duffy was convicted of 17 more rapes and received a further 12 years. Now, neither man is expected to ever be released from prison alive. Police suspect them of countless other sex attacks, some dating back to the mid-1970s, while David is also suspected of attacks which took place after Duffy was jailed. During the trial, it came apparent that the pair armed themselves with a rapist kit, or that's what they called it, of balaclavas, knives and tape to gag and blindfold their victims. Also, the Michael Jackson tape thriller would become another essential part of their kit because they listened to it in the car every single time they went on one of their hunting parties. Now, throughout this case, mm. it's very strange, like, like, song to choose. better songs. Yeah. Not that I would think of a song to choose, but it wouldn't be Thriller. Because that, it's funny how a song does that. For example, I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight reminds me of <laughs> Samantha nearly killing me in her car on the way to Tom Towers. So, 
Good times. Thanks. I love that song. To know that. <laughs> I don't. Every time it comes on, I get feared and hold on to the side of the car. <laughs> we survived, okay. Um, anyway, throughout this, this case, a lot more information on their victims came out. And when Duffy was given evidence on David, he put his two cents in with regards to all of the crimes. So I'll go into a bit more detail of some that I have either already mentioned and some that I haven't mentioned. So a 21-year-old who was walking home from a party in Kilburn in northwest London, clutching a teddy bear, was to become their first rape victim in October 1982. Now, using stick and plaster to stifle her screams, they dragged her into a garden where she was stripped, blindfolded and raped. The victim recalled, I put my hands up and the taller man said, don't worry, it is a knife. In March of the following year, they targeted a 29-year-old restaurant manager who was walking near Finchley Road Railway Station. But the woman bit David's hand and despite being kicked and punched, she put up a struggle and they let her go. An American social worker, aged 32, was attacked on Barnes Common almost a year later in January 1984. And David and John, who were in the area decorating John's parents' home, stripped and raped her. Their fourth victim was a 23-year-old grabbed at West Hampstead Railway Station and dragged across the tracks on the 3rd of June of that year. She told the court, they had a knife and said they would cut me if I didn't do as I was told. All I could say was, please don't hurt me. They laughed as they passed passed the distraught woman afterwards in their getaway car, joking that they should offer her a lift. A girl of 22 was gagged with tape after she was seized on Highgate West Hill a month later in July. Fortunately, the rapist fled when a neighbour called the police. When the girl was confronted, she still had pieces of tape on her wrists, one of which would provide crucial evidence against David. A week later, on the 15th of July, two 18-year-old Danish au pairs were attacked on Hampstead Heath as they walked arm in arm laughing together. One said, he told me to take off all my clothes and lie down. Then he pulled his trousers down to his knees and lay on top of me. Three months later, the pair were arrested when they were stopped in David's Talbot Horizon with stolen building materials. A a black balaclava was found in the car, but the pair escaped with fines after David told police he used a mask when he was working as a plasterer on dusty ceilings. Which is a great excuse because plastering is very, very messy. Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, and so I can understand why you'd get away with it having a balaclava still not great but yeah on the 26th of january 1985 they attacked a 20 year old german au pair under a canal bridge at brent cross her scarf was used as a gag and blindfold and she was bundled towards a nearby bridge the man without the knife sat down and undressed me he was not rough but he stripped me naked she said once fluent in english the woman had refused to ever speak or read the language again or tell her husband of the ordeal by the 30th of January, the pair were back trolling Hampstead Heath, where they selected a 16-year-old virgin. Duffy told the court, David was becoming so violent, he broke off the attack, fearing his friend would kill the girl. On the 2nd of February, they tried again with a French au pair who was also grabbed near the heath, but the attack was aborted when she screamed and struggled. Duffy claimed he stopped another attack on a 23-year-old the following month because he was again worried about David's behaviour when the victim was dragged to a flat near the Heath. 
Desperate for another victim, the pair selected a 25-year-old solic solicitor's clerk on the 1st of March and raped her on a bench on the heath. By now, the sexual excitement on the hunt was not enough for David, who was having more and more difficulty becoming aroused. Four days after Christmas in 1985, they targeted Alison Day, who had been due to meet her fiancé at his printing firm in Hackneywick. The 19-year-old Nier was snatched at Hackneywick railway station and dragged to snow-covered playing fields nearby. After both men had raped Alison, she tried to escape and fell or was pushed by David into the freezing water of a feeder canal. Duffy claimed he pulled her out and David was so excited by the incident, he raped her again, then tore off a piece of her blouse to throttle her. He recalled, she was saying things like, it is only his moustache I have seen. I won't tell anyone. Please don't hurt me. I was watching David and the girl. The next thing I noticed was he was putting some material round her neck and started to twist it. David later told his accomplice he had killed Alison because she might recognise him. But Duffy said David actually enjoyed it, saying it gave him power, the decision over life and death. I remember him going on. It is godlike having the decision over life and death. Alison's sheepskin coat was weighed down with stones and she was hurled back into the water. She was found 17 days later, bound and gagged with her hands tied behind her back. On the 17th of April 1986, 15-year-old Dutch schoolgirl Marta Tamboza was knocked off her bicycle with a length of fishing line stretched across the path, a technique Duffy had learnt from one of his favourite books, The Anarchy. The the, sorry, the anarchist's cookbook. The teenager was marched across the fields between Effingham and East Horsley in Surrey and raped by Duffy, who claimed David suddenly lost his temper. He was becoming very aggressive, hyper, shouting at the girl, Duffy recalled. He then raised his fists and hit the girl. She crumpled to the floor. She was struck on the head at the side. It was a swinging blow. I noticed he had a rock in his hand or a stone. She just crumpled up and fell on the floor. I believe she was unconscious. Duffy said that David then ripped off her belt and looped it around her throat, telling him, I did the last one, you'll do this one. So he passed him the belt. It had a piece of stick through it, which was twisted, and he gave it to him in his hand. This is uh, Duffy is telling the jury all of this. I actually started twisting it while David turned away. I think I just got caught up in it. It's very difficult to explain. I just continued twisting until she was dead. Duffy said they both left the scene, but David returned and set her body alight, stuffing burning tissues into her vagina, hoping to destroy forensic evidence. So newlywed TV secretary Anne Locke, who was 29, still had just come back sorry from her honeymoon scuba diving off of the seashells when she was ambushed getting off a train at Brookman's Park in Hertfordshire and this was in May 1986. The pair spotted her bicycle in the station shed, they hid in the bushes and waited until she returned. Duffy said he raped Anne, then David threw him a bunch of keys and he went to collect the car. He told the court David said he had taken care of it he was very evasive, like he was playing mind games. He was saying, she won't identify us now. He was very excitable, 
buzzing. He was even saying, keep your eyes open for another one. Anne's decomposed body was found two months after she was murdered in undergrowth, just a mile from her home, and she had been suffocated with her own sock. So back to the trial, prosecutor Mark Dennis said, it seemed to motivate them as they drove, singing along, looking for victims. That's him talking about Michael Jackson's thriller. A substantial part of the thrill came from the anticipation of the hunt. Several of the rape victims remembered David blaming them when he could not maintain his erection in attacks of increasing sadism. He would stroke the women's hair tenderly, kiss their neck and ask, are you a virgin? as he removed her clothes. Running his knife across his victim's lips, he whispered threats to gauge their eyes out or slice off their nipples and reveled in their pure terror. He was no longer satisfied by the sexual aspect, but by power, control, violence and torment. It was, a it was a desire for the ultimate thrill, the power over life or death that would cost three women their lives. Duffy was a serial rapist. It was his partner who had that aggressive streak and the one who had the desire to dominate and exercise power and control over life and death. David was getting more out of this. He wanted something more than just rape. It was a taller man who enjoyed exercising power over their victims, tormenting them, humiliating them on occasions. David was an arrogant and cruel character, playing with his victims as if the whole thing was a game, getting satisfaction and enjoyment from bullying and picking on the vulnerable. According to Duffy, they plotted their first rape because David hated the owner of a house in Hendon in North London and wanted to sexually assault her to teach her a lesson. They broke in, but the woman failed to come home. Another planned rape at a house in Notting Hill, West London, failed when the woman returned home with a male friend. There's also been occasional publicity uh, for the pairing since David's imprisonment, including a newspaper that claimed that Duffy was paid £20,000 in return for the information about his accomplice, and that David has also become a feared loan shark from his prison cell. Also in 2001, a television movie, Witness of Truth, The Railway Murders, was released. There was a lot of publicity about this, um, like there is about a lot of um, crimes that go on. They did have their life sentences. It's not a whole life tariff, um, but John Duffy is in HMP Franklin in County Durham, and David Mulcahy is in HMP Phil Sutton, which is near Pollington in East Yorkshire. Although they've not got a whole life tariff, neither really has a chance of parole and will no doubt die no. in prison. Yeah, with the so, age and stuff as well. Yeah, that as well, and also their atrocious crimes. I feel they deserve it.